This is GoPowerCat.com publisher Tim Fitzgerald. Thank you for listening to this PowerCat podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode of the PowerCat podcast by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast network. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming a subscriber to GoPowerCat.com. We cover the Wildcats like no one else with our VIP customers enjoying one-of-a-kind coverage from our team of professional journalists. And sign up today for an annual subscription to GPC and grab a 30% discount on your first year. And now here's the PowerCat Podcast. The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Sources podcast, presented by Blue Mark Energy, and it starts right now. Now, let's go to the WTC gig-powered studios. Here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Sources podcast, brought to you by Blue Mark Energy. If you have energy needs, natural gas, if you're a consumer of large amounts of natural gas, business, agriculture, schools, nursing homes, get a hold of Blue Mark Energy. Good people, K-State owned, out of Tulsa. Well, the Sources podcast is going to be mostly us talking to people about the game, about the program, and that's certainly what it'll be next week following Kansas State's game with Nichols State. Well, this is the lead-up to that game, and we could put together a bunch of sound bites from this week's press conferences, or we could do something entirely different and kind of fun. The Power Chat has been, I believe, a really big success with our VIP subscribers at GoPowerCat.com. It is a hour-long interview session, split in two parts, so it's a little more consumable, with the headline makers, if you want to call them that, of Kansas State Athletics. Chris Kleiman, Eric Stone Street, Joe Hall, Skylar Thompson. That was season 1.1, and there will be four of those many seasons per year. Another mini season, 1.2, will drop late October, early November, as we take a peek into basketball and touch on football some more. Then two more mini seasons after the new year. 16 interviews, 32 episodes. It is original programming brought to you by Blue Mark Energy also, and it's the Power Chat. Well, today, even though that's behind the VIP paywall, if you want to watch the videos, get the whole feel for what the show's about, you have to subscribe, and I would recommend it. The Power Chat alone is something very unique to Go Power Cat. You're not going to find anything else like it in the marketplace, and we have some more tricks up our sleeve. In fact, on Monday, The Sample, our second original program, will debut at Go Power Cat. But, of course, we also have podcasts every day of the week through football season, and this is your Tuesday podcast. And today we go back to that first Power Chat we released on the website, the Chris Kleiman Power Chat. His first football game as Kansas State's head coach arrives on Saturday, Kansas State against Nichols State. We actually taped this Power Chat late July, right after Big 12 Media Days. But as you will find out, our Power Chats aren't a lot of X's and O's. We don't get into uh, schemes and things like that we might do at Go Power Cat and other places. We talk to people about their lives. This is the first half of the Chris Kleiman Power Chat. 
Welcome to another edition of the Power Chat. And as I mentioned earlier, Chris Kleiman. You hope everyone recognizes you by now. <laughs> I mean, what a whirlwind it's been since your hire. You've just it's been nonstop. It really has. I cannot believe we're at the end of July and it seems like just yesterday we were first of January and, and I don't know where the time has gone. Um, but uh, in the same respect, uh, I'm excited to get things started here in August. Yeah, it's uh, been a remarkable seven months uh, and we've got a lot of ground to cover today. But I want to go back to uh, growing up in Waterloo, Iowa. That seems like about as an American upbringing as you could get. Oh, it definitely was. Uh, middle class home. Mother mm -hmm. was a teacher. Uh, dad was a, a sporting goods salesman that was a football coach turned sporting goods salesman. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, John Deere was huge in the heyday when I was growing up as, as a kid and had factories and stuff around and, and didn't live on a farm but had a bunch of people uh, that I uh, was friends with in high school and grade school that uh, lived on farms. And so uh, it, was a, it was a great upbringing, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm also the son of a football coach turned something else to <laughs> provide for a family, so I completely understand that. Uh, Columbus Catholic High School, your QB and defensive back. Looking back, uh, were you the better high school QB or defensive back? Well, we were at a, a school that uh, was not the biggest of, of classifications, and so we had most of the guys play both ways. And uh, I was fortunate that uh, they gave me the ball as a freshman and said, learn how to play the position and uh, had some people help me out along the way. And uh, I, I knew that that wasn't going to be my position in college if I chose to play football. And, and uh, probably about my sophomore year, I kind of realized that you know, football was something that I wanted to continue on with. And uh, I enjoyed competing no matter what position I was playing. And um, lo and behold, I got to play both ways, but uh, knew and knew at the end of the day in high school that uh, uh, defensive back was probably going to be my calling in college. <laughs> uh, what does one do growing up in Waterloo? Just like every other typical kid, I uh, had lots of parks around and, and played a lot of sandlot baseball where you just find 10 guys and get teams of five and play or uh, go down to um, you know Burns Park and play some basketball and uh, uh, just did every outdoor activity. I never had a phone in my hand just like no. you. You know we never had phones and you know, I'd just uh, somebody'd have to drive down to say, "Hey, maybe it's time to come home," or uh, you grab a sandwich at, at noon and come back at six or seven for dinner, and then go back out again. I just, um, I, I loved it. Just, mm -hmm. I kind of miss those days of just going out and, and playing ball and and enjoying yourself. You know, back th then, our parents would just, "Here's your bike. Go. See you later. Get out of my hair. Go do your thing. Don't eat lead paint." That's exactly right, and that and that's everybody trusted you, and you, uh -huh. you know you you just as long as you made good decisions, you could keep that trust. And I was fortunate; I was surrounded by some good friends that uh, just loved sports like I did, and so that's all we did uh, all day long. And in the summers, you just you got to the end of July, and you're like, oh, I got to go back to school. We got to get a few more games in, and uh, but uh, I had a had a blast, when, and still stay in contact with a lot of the childhood friends and yep. high school friends that uh, played sports with. Uh, you wrecked bikes. You, like you said, you played a lot of sports. I think in some ways, that's that's missing, and not just playing sports, but without adults, you mm -hmm. know, without the parents there, without a coach there, just go and have fun and the joy of the game. Yeah. I think a lot of kids growing up now don't have that. Yeah, uh, and they're specializing, and I'm not a big specialization mm -hmm. guy. I was around Carson Wentz, and he played, I think, four or five sports in at Bismarck High School, and and that wasn't that long ago, but. 
uh, that's what everybody did. You just played mul in the school that I was at. You had to play multiple sports. If you, if not, we may not had enough to to mm -hmm. have full teams sure. and and uh, JV teams and those things. And uh, um, so no, I, I I really enjoyed that. And and you're right, there was. Very seldom did you have a, a ton of people at, at uh, your, your Sandlot event and maybe a parent would come down to uh, give everybody a, uh, a little popsicle or something. That was about it. Yep, you had to sort it out yourself. That's right. Um, now, you, the first step of the serendipity of your hiring here was you met Bill Snyder at a football camp. Was that at an Iowa football camp? It was. Uh, I was going into my uh, junior year of high school and it's difficult in the state of Iowa because I was a baseball player and I loved playing baseball, but the high school season is during the summer. That's uh, weird. It's one of the few, I think there's maybe two states in, in the land that uh, do it this way. So I left our baseball team for a few days, which I hated to do because I was uh, always wanting to compete, but I wanted to go to the University of Iowa football camp and Hayden Fry was in his heyday. Uh, in, in the mid 80s there and, and uh, boy what a great staff you know with the Stoops boys and McCarney and, and Alvarez and, and Coach Schneider and it's incredible uh, yeah and so I went up there um, I, honestly on my own uh, dad pulled up dropped me off said I'll see you in three days and and that was that and stayed in the in the residence hall there and um, went to camp and you know, a lot of quarterbacks in line and and but absolutely I was at the camp with with Coach Schneider and um, you know, threw the ball around and had him evaluate me, and then I went to the defensive backs because I was doing both. And uh, but it was it was just cool for me to be around all those great coaches. That um, if I was going to, you know, stay in college and just be a college football player, I wanted to gain as much knowledge as I could. And you talk about a phenomenal staff, and it was really good back then. Now you look back and say, wow, look at all those things those guys did. Um, but, uh, you know, I was a Northeast Iowa guy, and, we, you know, of course we had Iowa and Iowa State in our, in, in our state, but uh, everybody in Northeast Iowa was a Hawkeye. And so, you know, I grew up uh, really enjoying Iowa and, and uh, had a blast at the camps. End up in Northern Iowa. How did that process break down? Um, you know, just hometown. Um, Daryl Mudra was uh, my college coach, and, and Daryl Mudra was nicknamed Dr. Victory and uh, coached from the press box. Not very many people know that. He coached every game from the press box. And so, um, you know, I had an opportunity to walk on at Iowa, Iowa State, and, and uh, Northern Iowa came in and offered me a scholarship, and uh, my family needed that, needed those financial resources. And so, chance to play close to home, um, knew some of the guys that were on the team, had played against some guys, and then uh, uh, they, I thought they did a really good job building relationships and recruiting. Um, how long did it take you to realize, I can play here, I can get this done? Um, well, I was hopeful, I mean, like everybody, and I think that's the great thing about even kids today, the competitive side of things, I was hoping I could play early on. I mean, that was one of the goals I had. I didn't want a red shirt. I wanted to play right away. I didn't know how hard it was going to be, but I wanted to play right away. And, and uh, I was on the third or fourth team the first couple weeks of fall camp, and we had a scrimmage, and I think I made some plays and, and did some good things. Next thing you know, a Monday before the first game of the season, I'm penciled in as a starting defensive wow. back playing corner. Uh, which I knew I wasn't a corner, <laughs> but because I just understood the game, I think, pretty well. Mm -hmm. And um, that was the spot that they were uh, needing some young players. So I, I started at corner my first six, seven, eight games of my freshman year. And I, and I, I felt like 
you know, I, I could belong at that level. Um, you know, some growing pains, obviously, like everybody has as a freshman, but uh, I had reached one of my goals, which was to play early. Did Chris Clamon have corner speed, even if it was boy one double A level? Yeah, exactly right. That's what, yeah. It was nineteen eighty six level or eighty seven level is what it would be. But uh, no, absolutely not. I was trying to stay as deep as the deepest. But uh, uh, I always prided myself on being a really good tackler and knowing where we we're supposed to fit. And I was glad about game eight when they said, you know what, we're going to move you to free safety. And uh, game eight, they moved me to free safety, and I stayed there the rest of my time. That's nice. And of course, step two of serendipity is you're on the 89 team. That was Bill Snyder's first home game uh, as coach of the Wildcats. He'd open on the road, but uh, the Panthers come in and win 10 to 8. What do you remember of that game? Um, not a ton. Yeah, I wouldn't you, you know, No, not, not. I mean, some guys can go play by play and stuff. I, I remember what a huge win was it for when it was for us because we had lost. The week before to a division two team and you know we thought we were gonna have a pretty good team and then all of a sudden you know maybe we fell in love with ourselves and we go oh and one and lose to a division two team think boy we're in trouble well we regrouped and and uh, i think we ended up finishing eight and three that year but the win over kansas state you know uh, just kind of um just led us into a pretty good season and it was um uh, our head coach terry allen's first game or first season as a head coach. Mm -hmm. So he lost in his first game and then uh, ends up going down to, to Manhattan and getting a win. But uh, not a huge crowd, I remember, you mm -hmm. know. Um, not not a big crowd, but uh, uh, it was still to all of us, hey, we're, we're getting a chance to play against a big eight team. Yep. You're getting a chance to play uh, big time football. And I think everybody has a chip on your shoulder when you have that opportunity and, and uh, our guys made the most of it. it, it it's interesting because it gives you a perspective that a lot of guys coming in from the outside may not have, that you saw what Bill Snyder started with and how far he had to go and how bad it was when mm -hmm. he arrived. I've always told people, you pick the worst team in college in you know Power 5 football right now, and they'd beat those K-State teams in the late 80s by multiple touchdowns how bad it was so you have that per perspective yeah it, it really was and I didn't realize it then because we played in 86 and it was a worse team it was they were horrible you know when I was a, a true freshman we came down here in 86 and we won I think Stan was maybe the coach mm -hmm. and uh, I, I know it was it was worse in 86 and it was in 89 and it wasn't much better but but you're right that, I think that's what what is so remarkable about the about the legacy the story the journey uh, of people see what what it was in the 90s and the 2000s, how phenomenal it was, uh, how far they had come, and it was it was a it was best coaching job in college football history. Stan Parrish is an intriguing character when you look at him as a coach. He's got the one double A ring from Marshall. I believe he's got a Super Bowl ring. He's got a, a <laughs> college national championship ring, and yet at Kansas State, he really really struggled. And in fairness, there were zero resources to to accomplish these things. Uh, luckily, you don't have that problem. Coach Snyder changed everything. Uh, but when did you know, I want to coach? This is what I want to do. Well, <clears throat> probably through that 89 and 90 season, my junior and senior season, um, that uh, it was something that uh, I had a passion for. I didn't know. I knew I wasn't talented enough to play uh, and, and in the NFL at the next level and had a lot of injuries throughout college anyway. And uh, I just said, well, I, I need to stay involved in this game in some respect. And, and so um, I know after the 90 season, which was my last year, I 
I went to Coach Allen and said, hey, is there a, a spot left? Because I graduated in December. Is there a spot left? And, um, you know, and maybe be a volunteer or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, let's try to figure something out because I think he saw something in me that I might be able to help. And I know he visited with Bob Bullsby, who was the athletic director That's at the crazy. time. And Bob Bullsby, who was friends of ours, family friends, my mother and, and his mother were, were dear friends, said, yeah, we're going to create another spot. I think there's something special in this kid that I think he could be a... Uh, a coach someday and let's give him a start and so Bob Bullsby created a, another spot for me to become a graduate assistant. Nice. No, that's It's, it's just, come it's, full circle that last very week at the, at the Big 12 uh, media day that I give up Bob a big hug and and he just looks at me and he kind of shakes his head because when I signed my Nassau letter of intent in 1986 at Columbus was when you could go out and, and have you know coaches anybody could go out and have have the letter of intent signed and Bob Bowlesby was at Columbus High School with my parents and I signing our national letter of intent. And so Bob and I still get a Crazy. chuckle out of that, that uh, you know, he was with me when I signed my national letter of intent and he's with me on my first uh, day as the Big 12 media day as the head coach. What did Pop say when your dad, when he said, I'm gonna go into coaching and he's probably thinking, I've been there, done that. Uh, I imagine he was encouraging, but he, probably cautious. He, he was because he knew the passion that I'd had for it and had I not, I'd probably been in sporting goods because my brother's a national sales manager in the sporting goods business. My dad's was in the sporting goods business for a long time. So that was probably avenue B for me. Um, but he wanted me to exhaust this avenue to say, okay, you know, is this what, uh, yeah. you have a passion for it. I think it's something that uh, if you continue to work at it, you have a chance to be pretty good at. And, um, but it's, I, I know how hard it is. I mean, I, was a young coach not making any money and then all of a sudden you you get married and all of a sudden you have a child and you're still not making any money it's 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 difficult on a family and as a young coach you go with terry allen to kansas for a year mm -hmm. you got to feel like oh it's rolling now well yeah i was at i went from northern iowa as a graduate assistant to western illinois as my first full-time job and, and went to western illinois and, and spent um a few years there with randy ball um, and uh, then Terry left Northern Iowa, got the KU job, and invited me to come. And and so yeah, it's just kind of strange how everything, yeah, there things happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I I don't regret one of the decisions I made in in coaching. And I bounced around a lot as a younger coach, but that's how you I believe you build your network. You continue to learn more about yourself. You continue to challenge yourself, and that's what you have to do. Uh, I always tell the young coaches uh, around that ask me, do as many things you can, meet as many people as you can, right. go to the conventions, go go sit at clinics. You know, people think clinics are, are you know, why would I want to go do that? It, you, know, you go and sit and you listen. You don't just go sit and, and drink beer with everybody. You go uh, and listen and go up and introduce yourself to whoever spoke. And you just never know when you, you know, maybe trigger something with somebody. And, and uh, it's all about networking in this business. And you eventually end up at Loris College as a assistant coach, and yep. you get one year as a head coach. Yep. What did What did you take away from that experience? Uh, it was <clears throat> phenomenal in, in the fact that uh, it was an hour and 15 minutes from my hometown in Waterloo where I was at Dubuque, Iowa. Um, the president there is still a good friend of mine today, Jim Collins, um, dear friend, and, and he offered me the head job. But I knew it was going to be hard. There's no scholarships uh, in, in Division Three, um, and, and at this was what 2005 and it was close to 35 forty thousand dollars a year uh and, and the recruiting was difficult you know you, you you were non-stop it's it's 
very similar to what it is now of being 365 24-7, you're just doing it without scholarships. But I was in charge of you know, the equipment room. I was in charge of uh, the field house where they played basketball games and setting up the field house. You did everything. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you were in charge, total of total charge of the travel budget and, and the financial aid and, and academics. You were you were everything, and you wore a lot of hats. But in the same respect, what a great learning curve it was for me to, to have all those things thrown on me as a relatively young person. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed that year. Loved the kids. Still communicate with a number of those guys. You talk about guys that play for the love of the game. Um, that was what those guys did, and, and I, I had a blast with those guys. And um, but, I, but I also knew that ultimately I was going to get back to scholarship football and continue to try to make the climb. And, you know, purple. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. I was looking, I was doing the research, and I'm like, well, you and I is purple, and then Loris is purple. Yeah. My, my father, Pat Fitzgerald, ironically, <clears throat> was from uh, Casey, Illinois, and they were purple. Went to Evansville before <laughs> Korea, purple. Came back from Korea, Northwestern purple so it's uh but here you are more purple it's it's That's right it's just uh you know the it just it's very strange all the little things that have lined up for you uh to end up in this position it really is pretty remarkable um <clears throat> you go back to northern iowa mm -hmm. uh to coach defensive backs yep um and and that as reviewing your career that kind of seems to me like when it started to click yeah you go to northern iowa you're there what four seasons or so mm-hmm um Who's coach at that point? Mark Farley's the head coach at that time. Had some really good football teams. I went there in 2006. They'd played in the national championship game in 2005. Went there in 2006 and, and went as the defensive back coach because I wanted to get back into scholarship football. And uh, Mark gave me that opportunity. I played with Mark at Northern Iowa, so I've known him for a long time. He was at KU, so I knew Mark for for years and years. and. Um, and then we had really good teams in, in 07, 08. We were the number one seed, I think, in 07, went undefeated. But, you know, I, I was with our, our defensive staff consisted of myself, Scott Frost, who, who's at Nebraska, Jerry Montgomery, who's the defensive line coach uh, with the Green Bay Packers now. Uh, and we had a blast. And we were all young, but we were all having fun and, and uh, had a great bunch of guys. And um, but I also was sitting in the same room with Frosty and Jerry, and I'm like, these guys aren't going to last here. They're not long to stay at, at, at Northern Iowa as intelligent as those guys were, as well as how well they motivated guys and stuff. And and uh, slowly but surely, you know, first Jerry left, then Frosty left, and, and then um, after the 2010 season, I was the defensive coordinator in you know, co-DC in seven, and then DC in eight, nine, and 10. I just said I got I have to continue to grow, and uh, I just felt myself being a little stagnant, um, and so uh, somebody reached out to me uh, from North Dakota State and asked if I had an interest in um, going to North Dakota State, and, and I'd heard so many things about North Dakota State from one Daryl Mudra, Daryl Mudra, who was my original coach in, in 86 and 87 was the first guy to win a national championship at North Dakota State in 1965. The defensive coordinator uh, that I had at Northern Iowa in 87, uh, or excuse me, 89 and 90, Ardell Wiegant was one of the best two-way players that North Dakota State had ever seen, and he lived up there. And 
Um, so they both said, you're crazy if you don't take a chance at this. This is one of the most storied programs in the history of college football. Now, you go back and look at that and you say, okay, were they? Well, the amount of national championships as they had won at Division II area, two, Division II era, they were just moving to the Division I area. had only been there for a couple of years. And so I went and interviewed with Coach Bull and, and said, I, I'm going to take this chance. It was almost like gut instinct, wasn't it? It was. It was because I, I was going from a defensive coordinator to a defensive yeah. back coach. Uh, but I, I'm not an ego guy. Sometimes you got to put your ego on the shelf. Sometimes you just got to say, how, how, how am I going to learn more? I, I mean, there's different ways to do things, whether it's offensively, defensively, philosophically. And it was just time for me. Uh, and that was one my dad encouraged me too. And I was living in the same town as my parents and, and they had their grandkids and stuff. And I just, and my brother still lives there. And I just said, this is something I need to do professionally. And they both said, my brother, my dad, you got to go. You, you have to try this. And uh, so I went there in 2011 and, and had a magical season. In our first season there, we won the national championship. And Scotty Hazleton was our defensive coordinator. It, it strikes me, some by choice, choosing to go to Northern Iowa and some by just fate or chance that you've been surrounded by really good coaches the whole time. Looking back, being in the same room with guys who have gone on to great success and a lot of good coaches don't go on to yeah. success. They know what they're doing. They just don't get that, that moment where they move up the ladder. How much does that impress upon you, you know, some of the coaching qualities that you need to carry? Uh, really impresses upon me the fact of you, you just... I'm a be where your feet are guy. Mm -hmm. I don't look at what what's going to happen in five years. Where should I be at the next job? Where should I be? You just put your nose to the grindstone on a daily basis and learn as much as you can from the people that you're surrounded with, whether that's a head coach, whether that's an assistant coach, whether that's players, whatever it may be, uh, and, and try to just gain as much knowledge. Be a sponge as much as you can. And I think we all... Frost, myself, and Jerry were all the same way. We all wanted to learn from each other uh, because we all did it a different way. We all had different demeanors. We all had different ideas, but um, somehow it all came together. And so, you know, I, I, so I see both of them periodically or communicate with, with both of them periodically. And we just kind of marvel about, you know, how young we were, but how yeah. much fun we had. Yeah, it's a, it really is remarkable. Uh, your D-backs coach one year and then your immediately defensive coordinator mm -hmm. so now you're like i've got a national championship I'm back to the defense coordinator yeah you got to feel like you've made exactly the right decision at that point absolutely because i you know you always in the back of your mind you want to think gosh did i make the right decision although when i did i said hey i'm going to move forward if i make a mistake i make a mistake but i'm, I'm going to go for it and uh uh it, it did I, I was at the end of that season coach hayes got hired by usc Coach Bull came in to me and said, I'm elevating you. No interview, I'm elevating you to defensive coordinator. Appreciate it, loved everything you did. Our defense improved, um, and it's, it's your show now. And so uh, to me, it was kind of validated, okay, uh, the move I made was the correct move, but we're just coming off a national championship. I better not fall in love with this move too much because I'm going to be put to the put to the fire. We, we need to be pretty dang successful because we had a number of guys returning from the 2011 team that uh, expectations were going to be high. But you know, it's one of those things where you embrace that target on your back and embrace the expectations. What was Craig Bull like to work for? He was dynamite um, in, in the fact that coach let you do your job. He was uh, a real CEO, um, a guy that. Uh, 
you know, gave you suggestions, gave you, gave you enough leash to do what you needed to do, but you knew who was in charge. Uh, you knew he was going to make the final call. Uh, but never once did he question, why would you call this? Why would you do this? Just tell me, tell me originally why you're doing it. Great. We'll live with the results. And, and I so appreciate that about, about coaches. You know, you never heard on a headset. You never heard at halftime or anything. Well, should we do this more? Should we do this more? Chris, you, you've watched more video than I have. Uh, I trust your judgment. I trust you what you're doing on this and, and, and let it go. And uh, I really appreciated that with, with coach. The final step of serendipity came in 13 when you guys come down here. K-State's coming off a Big 12 championship, a really good team. Uh, Colin Klein has finished up his career. Thankfully. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was pretty good. Uh, turned over to another good quarterback, but it was his first game, yep. an Iowa kid, Jake Waters. Yeah. Uh, and North Dakota State comes in here in a really good football game uh, and, and wins. And this wasn't winning... With all due respect to you know a team like Kansas or you know, this was a Bill Snyder had it going again. Yeah. And you guys come in here and win on a on a late drive, you out and I always said that you know I said it at the time I said it, you out Snyder Snyder that game. Yeah. You got the ball, drove length field, eight at the clock, won the game. And coach, I'm not sure Craig Bulls at Wyoming, if he doesn't win that game, potentially. And uh, it set in motion everything that we've seen now. What do you remember of that win? Uh, I remember spending the entire summer really dissecting Kansas State. We did it as a staff. I think Coach challenged us before we had our break in June and July. You know, make sure that you're spending some time on Kansas State. Let's make sure that we come up with game plans um, because we're going to have this this thing game plan before we start fall camp. And so I I, I watch film constantly on their offense and and the you know. Players make offenses go. The scheme's phenomenal, but players make it go. Um, and then we're watching film on Jake Waters at Iowa Western, and we're doing everything we can. And then we came back in, uh, back to work like July 15th, and we took two weeks as if we were playing K-State and had it all mapped out by August 1st of what we wanted to do because we knew that we had one shot. And this was not like we had beaten Kansas. We had beaten... Uh, Minnesota. We had beaten Colorado State, but this was a different. Right. This was a different team. This was a uh, a phenomenal football team that coming off a Big 12 championship, and I think maybe that was a dedication to the stadium that day. And um, so then we went through fall camp, and you know each each day at fall camp, we'd spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes on Kansas State up until we got to about two weeks out, and. Um, uh, then we had everything laid out for it, and we knew we needed to play close to a perfect game. We really did, but we also thought we were going to be a lot more physical than some of the teams that we'd seen on film. And we, even though I know that nobody was going to overlook us because we'd won two national championships in a row, there was still that there's still an FCS team that you know ultimately will wear them down. Right. And I think just the opposite happened. I think we ultimately wore Kansas State down in that game with, you know, there's a number of guys on that team uh, that we had in 2013 that was undefeated that are still playing in the league right now. There's there's good football players. Obviously, K-State had good players as well. And we got down, I think, by a couple scores, and nobody panicked. And that was probably the... Uh, I think the the big thing is we got down two scores, nobody panicked. We all of a sudden got one of them back, and all of a sudden I think maybe the panic flipped to the other sideline a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And next thing you know, we just methodically found a way. And it was the hottest game I've ever been involved in. And, and I didn't play. I was just on the sideline coaching my tail off, and I was drenched. And I can imagine how those kids were. And I'll, I'll never forget, we our biggest thing at pregame meal was, was hot chicken noodle soup. Get the salt in you. The biggest thing at halftime was keep eat, eating a little bit more hot chicken noodle soup to try to keep the sodium levels in you. You know, this is 2013. We'd never used to that. We're playing in 70 degree weather yeah. or inside in the Fargo Dome and never had any hot games like that. And um, uh, just everything kind of came together that day, and our, our guys had a big chip on their shoulder. Craig Bowl goes to Wyoming. You're, how much of a process was it? With you and Gene and the hiring? It, it was a big process because Coach asked me to go as the defensive coordinator, and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go, um, because I didn't know if I'd even have an opportunity um, at, at North Dakota State to stay. And um, and then talking to people really close to me in my circle uh, as a couple days passed, and, and we knew Craig was going to take the job for a few days, and then it kind of came out. and stuff and I and as I was talking to people in my circle they said why don't you approach Gene about being the head coach and uh, uh, you know I, I'm in the middle of playoff mode so you're, you're thinking more game plan and you're thinking all that stuff and I sat home uh, late one night and just said you know what I, I think I'm ready for this opportunity I, but he's not coming to me I need to go to him and so I remember the next day I went and said Gene I, I know that you have a lot of good candidates for this job but I'd be one that uh, I think would be your best candidate and I want to interview for the job and um, we still were game planning for an option offense which was terrible because we were game planning getting all our option stuff ready and, and then right after that game he said okay I'll have you come over and interview after the game and it was late one night and stayed up an awful long time going through my thoughts and plans and vision for what I would be as a head coach and uh, I think it was like a, I, I, maybe a guess a week after coach announced he was going to Wyoming that uh, Gene uh, announced my hire at North Dakota State which was everything was surreal everything was great but we still had a semifinal game to play mm -hmm. which everything comes back to, to this year as well as well as a championship game to play and uh, so uh, probably that stressful stage of my life prepared me and helped me for this past year in another you know stressful time of trying to do right by the people that have given you the opportunity uh, at North Dakota State as well as um, do right by the people that have given you the opportunity at Kansas State. Four seasons as head coach, right? Five seasons. Five seasons. Yep. Uh, a lot of rings. Yeah, pretty fortunate. Um, and then Gene Taylor comes calling again. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will get into that and his hiring at Kansas State right after this pause. Stay locked in. The PowerCat Podcast will be right back. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We now send it back to Fitz in the WTC gig-powered studios. Welcome back to the Sources podcast. One half of that Chris Kleiman power chat is behind you now, and here is the second half as we talk to Kansas State's new football coach in our WTC gig-powered studios right here in downtown Manhattan. The video version is even better, of course. It's got pictures that go with it. And you need to subscribe to get all of our video power chats. But today we wanted to give you a little sample of what the power chat is like with this audio version of the Chris Kleiman power chat. We continue now with part two. Well, welcome back to the power chat here in the Go Power Cat Studios, the WTC Gig Powered Studios. And we're with Kansas State football coach Chris Kleiman. Long first half of the chat, though. We got you all the way up to the hiring process. And again... You're in the playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, preparing your own team uh, for bigger things. And Gene Taylor has advanced through his career from North Dakota State to being a deputy AD at Iowa um, and now at Kansas State. And he comes calling, but this wasn't as done as a lot of people assumed. This was a legitimate process that he, he kind of put you through the ringer on, didn't he? Well, and I was glad he did, and I think that was the way that it was going to be and should have been, but um, uh, I think it it started with when Coach announced he was retiring. Everybody in North Dakota State still adores, loves Gene, and knew that he hired me, Uh, and so I think the speculation started pretty quickly, and and I remember, I think that was on a Sunday, and then we had our, our team meeting on a Monday prior to the next playoff game, and I think it was a quarterfinal game, and I just told the guys, I said, guys, I'm going to be really transparent with you. Uh, Gene Taylor uh, is the athletic director at Kansas State. Coach Snyder just retired. My name's going to get brought up, I believe. I don't know if I'll get an interview. I don't know what will happen, um, but I just want you guys to be aware that my focus is going to be on us continuing this drive to win another national championship. But uh, if he does call, I'm going to listen. And uh, I talked to the leadership council, our captains, and they're like, Coach, you're crazy if you don't listen. It's a Big 12 job. You've you've put yourself in position to at least uh, be considered for it, and, and we appreciate you letting us know. But, you know, we'll, we'll handle things. We had 24 seniors. We had a really good football team. But um, we understand, and I think that that helped the process. And then um, I think uh, Gene's people contacted our people, uh, my people, a couple days before uh, we played a a playoff game and and kind of set in motion a a time for us to interview. Is it a challenge to 
be invested in two different things like that at the same time? Absolutely. Really challenging. It, it kind of goes against what my feelings are of be where your feet are. My mm -hmm. feet were really with uh, the North Dakota State kids because that's what I knew and that's that's where I had a job and that's where my my goal was to to win another national championship with these guys and and uh, but I also had really good people surrounding me saying you know coach you can do both now do what you have to do preparing every week or preparing each day for a practice uh, and then when you go home late at night just put some of your thoughts down on paper so that uh, uh, you put your best foot forward uh, when you have the opportunity to interview, but your, your your resume can speak for itself too. You just need to expand upon it um, with the success we've had in, in how you're going to do this at the Power Five level. So Gene Taylor is running a high-profile coaching search at the uh, FBS level. Did he bring you into Manhattan, or did you meet on neutral ground, or did you go to Fargo? Yeah, we, we met on neutral ground, and it was you know, we were trying to find a great place to meet, which was hard because I couldn't be away for more than four or five hours mm -hmm. because we were practicing or meeting every day, and I never was going to not be around that football team in a practice. And somebody say, "Well, why isn't he here?" That, and, and Gene knew that too. Yeah, that was not sure. going to be that was not going to be fair. And so, um, but the Fargo media is pretty persistent as well of trying to find out is Gene coming to town or are you leaving town and so they had you know some jet centers staked out and stuff and people around the office in the morning to see if I'd come in it was kind of surreal to be honest with you that I'd come in the office and there'd be camera trucks and stuff like okay you arrived at work today and things and so it was really interesting and um, so we decided to meet at my house and uh, so we came over and met at my house and uh, met in the morning and uh, spent, uh, oh, I would say, three hours, four hours, somewhere in there with uh, uh, Gene and Jill and Kenny and, and uh, kind of laid my vision and laid my plan out. And um, once I did that, they jumped in their car and headed out of town to where they flew out of. And I jumped in my car and went right back to, uh, by noon or so to continue on getting ready for the next practice. It's funny. We we, as members of media, were doing the same thing down here, tracking where Gene's at and uh, staking out the airport yep. to see where he's flying to and from. It really fascinates me how you guys are, are all in sync on this stuff. It really does. And I understand why, but it's just interesting how um, it, it is It is a big deal no matter where you're at. I mean, whether it's North Dakota State, Kansas State, any other Division One schools, how, how, they, how you guys want to be on top of making sure you don't miss a miss a trick and we're trying to try to slide right. around and see if we can we can beat the system a little bit my my latest thing i attempted <laughs> to use and they they outsmarted me or were very cautious is if you have the snapchat at it's possible it will track you and your followers can see you so ah. i'm i'm uh, tracking the location of ryan lackey and kenny lanu as best i can and yep uh, the over time I did it, they were at home. They were yeah. good. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's a, a technology and yep. flight aware and all of that is yep. just a fascinating process. Um, and it, it came down. It was a legitimate race. Kenny Lanou, Jill Shields, Gene Taylor sit down and talk about this. And um, you know, Neil Brown is a very high profile guy that is also in the running. Uh, I think he ended up at the perfect fit for him mm -hmm. at West Virginia and and Gene makes the call you're at practice now, I'm surprised you had your phone but you probably had it because you know it might be coming. well I, I knew that somebody could be calling whether it was my representation or 
I didn't know Gene was going to be calling and being live on air. I, that that I did That's not a whole know. New world, that I did not know at all. And I think he caught me one time. And said, "Coach, we're we're, we're live right yeah. now." I'm like, "Oh, uh, okay." But no, I typically wouldn't have um, my phone at practice. But uh, now it was a pretty pretty surreal moment. And it was early in practice because we were in finals week, so we didn't practice until really late that afternoon. So pretty cool moment. Um, I like watch your language here. Here. <laughs> um, so did you tell the kids right away? No, I waited till the end of practice. practice. Yeah, yeah. I, there was a couple of of players that uh, I had spoken with, probably right before meetings. One was Easton Stick, our quarterback, and one was Darius Shepard. Two two kids that actually visited us just recently here in Manhattan and and said, "Guys, I think this is going to happen." And they both gave me a hug and and were pretty excited for me and I said I'll know for sure by the end of the day um, but I think it's going to happen and, and so when I could share it with two guys that I both I recruited both of them been around both of them for a long time it was really close with them on a on a personal and professional relationship um, that, that was pretty cool to share with those two and then how many days was it between that phone call and coming to Manhattan well I think I came the next day the next for day. a for a press conference but once again I, I know we had practice the next day uh so i think that was maybe monday I, the days run together and then tuesday we had practice and i flew out tuesday night but i was back by wednesday at noon because we had practice wednesday afternoon because oh by the way we were just playing our biggest rival on friday uh for the semifinals that uh uh after all that stuff transpired we could not lose that football game for a number of reasons no no, that would have sucked. <laughs> that would have been bad. It would have been. Uh, I probably wouldn't have gotten out of Fargo alive had we lost that one. So. And again, in the world that we live and how things have changed, you don't just get on a plane to come to Manhattan. The plane includes a photographer and a videographer, yeah. and uh, so you're on camera the whole time. This was the social media hire. Yeah, it really was, um, and I, I kind of. Th- anticipated it would be something like that uh it was probably bigger than even i imagined but uh kenny and his crew did a phenomenal job and it it was it was really important for me to have my family uh not just my wife but my my three children as well and uh, my son's in the middle of finals week and and things but uh it was really important to have my family um along for that uh plane trip and that plane comes in and you see the stadium below what were you thinking right there uh, you know, it was one of those surreal moments. You kind of like, wow, this is really happening, and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty neat. Something I'll always remember. So you go to the press conference, um, you know, formality, the the jersey and all yep. that. But then you get to meet with the team. Yep. Um, how did that go? I mean, uh, I I thought it went well. Uh, I was just trying to be as real as I could with those guys. I knew it was going to be a short meeting I knew some of those kids had finals some of them were done but they were leaving that night or the next morning and and getting out so um, and it was late when I met with them not even maybe it was 10 o'clock or something and so I I just wanted to just kind of give them a quick synopsis of where I'd been what my plan was and what our vision was together to um, to to keep this train moving but uh, and I also shared with them Guys, I, I have to go back and finish a job, um, which, you know, I think was is a unique thing. Fortunately, those guys were going home for for some Christmas break. Um, 
that they were okay with me, okay, go go finish your job um, with these guys. And, uh, and a number of, of, we've recruited Kansas City really well at North Dakota State, yeah. so a number of the Kansas City guys knew each other from both teams. I know there was phone calls and text messages sure. and stuff back and forth. What are we getting ourselves into to um, what's coach like to whatever it may be. So, uh, but it was, uh, it was a, a great first quick meeting. Um, but I also knew I wasn't going to see most of these guys until middle of January because school started so late here in the, for the second semester. But you knew Skylar Thompson. You guys had recruited him. Uh, that had to be comfort comforting to know not just who your quarterback was, but he fit what you wanted to do. Yeah, uh, we were one of his first offers, I know. Right. Uh, I'd visit with him on the phone one, one time in May when we had that opportunity to, uh, to utilize a phone call and offered him a scholarship and, um, and loved the way he played and, and loved the way he carried himself and uh, all the things you look for intangibly with a, with a, a quarterback. And I remember then maybe three or four weeks later or something, he called me back to say, which I've decided to go to Kansas State, totally understood, but uh, uh, it was. It was it was neat to see how that came full circle. You knew Skyler's game. You knew what he was about. Uh, how did he fit into that line of quarterbacks, the Carson Wentz, the Easton Stick? Did, did he kind of follow that uh, ability to throw, ability to move a little bit? Yeah, but we were still learning about mm -hmm. him too, but uh, from his high school tape that I recalled, yeah, he did. He fit into... You know, not not only the physical tools, but uh, all the intangibles, and, and a tremendous athlete, and um, could do a number of things, and, and and the fact that I think he had natural leadership qualities, and that's what that's what we're all looking for is not just the physical tools, uh, but the intangibles and the mental capacity to to handle the position of quarterback. So you you go back, you you got South Dakota State, and then you make it to the finals with Eastern Washington. I, I would. Guess that those ratings are pretty good because every K-State fan tuned in to watch. Mm -hmm. um, and during all this, you're starting to try to put together a staff. And you started with Hank Jacobs, uh, who came down with you and is you know, kind of your right-hand guy. Yep. His, his desk's right outside your office. What, what, what is it about Hank that, that you knew you wanted him there? Simple, loyalty, uh, mm -hmm. and somebody that I think is up and coming in the profession. Yeah. Um, I hired him. He was a graduate assistant, a student assistant when I first got there in 2011, then uh, moved to a graduate assistant role and then uh, was able to hire him as a part-time employee in like my first year in 2014 and then we were able to, he did such a good job uh, that the administration at NDSU wanted to hire him full-time and so then we kept putting on more responsibilities on him in 15, in 16, in 17, in an 18 and so he was with me through that whole time as a, as a head coach. And you, you always want to have somebody with you that, that knows you, that, that knows, okay, coach is in a bad mood today. Here's how to handle him. Or coach is in a great mood. Or I'm the one that has to share bad news with coach. He knows how to do those things with me. Um, and I can vent on him. And he knows it's nothing personal at all um, because I love Hank. Hank's been with me forever. And, and uh, so that was a simple one for me that uh, I, I wanted to have somebody that uh, because we still had three weeks as well of a season, Hank, you need to help me do some things administratively uh, on both ends, on the mm -hmm. K-State end and on the North Dakota State end. And, and putting together a, a coaching staff, a, a Division One, a Big 12 yep. coaching staff, uh, and you're on the clock. You got recruiting yep. hanging out there. You got a lot of things going on. How daunting 
was that? It, it was, um, but we had the, the first initial signing day the Wednesday after the South Dakota State game, and so um, we didn't have many people hired at that time, just just a couple, and, and I remember going out with, with Taylor Bratt and with Colin Klein and Blake Seiler, and the, and the three of us kind of went, or four of us went and saw as many kids as we could on a, on a Saturday after the South Dakota State game, and then I was there through the signing period in Manhattan until we were able to sign some guys on that first uh, Wednesday. And then after that is when I really started to focus because we still had two and a half weeks before a championship game, and I wanted to try to get uh, a staff in place. And I, I knew a couple things. One, by that time, uh, Matt Entz had been named the head coach at North Dakota State, who was our defensive coordinator there. And so I knew everybody was going to have a job. That was you know, you know, something you always worry about mm -hmm. as a coach is, you know, you're, you're affecting families and children and stuff. And um, somebody was going to have a job, whether it was at North Dakota State, a, a great school, or coming to Kansas State. And uh, there was a, a fit I had with, with a few guys. And, and for me, it started with Coach Mess as the offensive coordinator. Sure. And, and all those things we go back and talk about with playing baseball when you're a young kid and, and pick up basketball games and stuff. Coach Mess was involved in all those things and uh, was at Northern Iowa. He was my host on a recruiting trip because he's a year older than I am. And so he was the first one that was a natural for me. And he's had um, coordinating experience in the Big 12. And so Courtney was the first guy that I hired from a coaching staff perspective. And, and then uh, Coach Riley followed closely behind because I've been with Riles since 2013. You know, I was with him as both as an assistant and uh, loved the way he coaches offensive line. And then it just started falling together. Uh, as a defensive coach, Bringing the offensive guy, you know, Coach Snyder was the opposite. He was the offensive yep. guy, and always wanted, you know, he let the defensive coaches kind of take their, their turn. Had a pretty good run of defensive yep. coordinators here. Um, so now you've defined what you're going to be on both sides of the ball. Mess is with you, yep. uh, and he's had Big Twelve experience at Iowa State. So right there, you got to feel a little more stable. Yep. Like uh, this, I know what we're going to play. I know what we need to do, uh, and. You, you, there was some advantages here. You played that semifinal on that Friday. You can't come out on Saturday, and then you got that what I think is kind of a strange break all the way to the championship yep. game. It was they almost treated like a bowl game, which is yep. cool, but it was kind of uh, you go week, 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 and then oh, you yeah. got to pause, and you were able to use that to your advantage. Uh, you brought four guys from yep. North Dakota State. What was it about those four? Uh, a number of things you know just some of it was you know coach Riley coach mess uh, coach Kleinman had been with me since uh, you know since I started as head coach mess wasn't but I'd known him forever uh, and then uh, Jason Ray who uh, you know he's played in, in the Big 12 yeah. he played at Mizzou uh, coached at Oklahoma State and and we had just hired him and I was so impressed with Jason when we hired him um, that uh, I knew if I had an opportunity, I was going to bring Jason with me because I just was—he's just uh, such a great person and a great football coach and, and mentoring young men. And so uh, those four guys just kind of fit some of the spots I was I was looking for. And I—you always have, just like every coach has, uh, a short list of guys that you—you know, you've worked with, you've you've been associated with, uh, you've heard about, whatever it may be. And and so then I just started attacking that short list after the. The four guys that uh, I'd spent some time with at NDSU. Uh, Colin Klein ends up being your only carryover, as Blake Siler did end up going to West Virginia. 
Colin seems to kind of fit right in with his group, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he really just, does. He just, he's, he's such a good guy to yeah. start with, but yep. uh, his style seems to slide right in. Yeah, and, and Colin could fit in with, with anybody. He's that mm -hmm. type of person. But I just, when, when you walk in a room and Colin's there, the room lights up. I mean, he's just that kind of guy. He's got that infectious personality, uh, tremendous man of faith, uh, tremendous leader. Uh, what he did on the field, there's no, you, you can tell why he's successful as, as a coach is because he puts his heart and soul into it um, and uh, challenges his players to be great um, on and off the field. And I was able to spend a few days on the road with Colin as kind of the lead recruiter he and Taylor were because I was selling you know my brand but mm -hmm. I wasn't selling Kansas State yet I didn't know enough about the academic side of things the facility side of things all those things that those guys know so well and so um, just being able to sit into a sit in a, a a prospect's home and listen to Colin and listen to, to Taylor Bratt and, and listen to Blake Siler talk about Kansas State. Uh, I learned a ton, uh, but the passion that Colin showed uh, about about this institution that he loves so much uh, really made it a no-brainer for me uh, to offer him a job. Uh, you put together a really good staff. I mean, you had the hiccup with Blake leaving a defensive coordinator, was in and out. Uh, luckily, he didn't buy a house. Um, and but it kind of felt like it all just ended up where it was supposed to be. You, you end up back with Coach Hayes, yep. Scotty Hazelton, um, who, by the way, looks like uh, the Hollywood casting version of a defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's been great for the media because we get we're getting some yep. access to assistant coaches again, which Coach Snyder ended around two thousand four or five. And uh, this is a good group of guys. They're just good people. Yeah. I, I've enjoyed it. Really good people that, once again, I, I don't see every, anybody as being an ego guy. Mm. Everybody has their place. Everybody's been around the block. You know, our defensive staff, really seasoned guys that have been a lot of places, uh, don't care who gets the credit. We all want to get the credit. We all are, are going to put equal amount of time in. We all are going to have a say. Uh, I've been in a room with Scotty, so I, I knew that was going to be a great fit because he wants to know what everybody's opinion is. He He's not the one that's going to say, I have all the answers. I want your opinion, and right. I want to uh, lean on you guys for uh, third down stuff, for, for run pressures, whatever it may be. And so, um, you know, having Scotty lead it and then having Joe come in that I've been around and I know how intelligent Joe is and, and Joe um, really has a great sharp mind for the passing game uh, and then to bring Van Malone in and uh, uh, Van's one of the top technicians of corners that that I know that uh, I've been familiar with Van. He was an NDSU guy years ago uh, and then uh, we interviewed Tui down at the convention, um, and I'd not met Tui before, but uh, I'd heard the name enough, and, and he was a blast to be around, and um, really brings a, a special quality to the table of, of a guy that really understands the defensive tackle position. Uh, and then um, when Blake left, we were able to hire Buddy Wyatt, and uh, Buddy was on our list originally. Mm -hmm. Even when we interviewed Tui, Buddy was on our list, and so, uh, it made it really easy when Blake left to call Buddy and say, okay, you ready to come? You, you, you've got a job, and, and Buddy and Van have been with each other. And so um, the familiarity uh, on that defensive side, uh, even though that 
a number of us came from different spots. I think everybody's on the same page, and that that's what's fun is. And I bounce around from meeting room to meeting right. room. I don't just sit with the defensive guys, as people may think. I, I love to go to the offensive meeting room and, and give a defensive coach's perspective in there. And so um, I, I really enjoy the camaraderie and the banter back and forth, and that's what you're looking for is great ideas on each side of the ball. Getting ready for spring practice, got to learn who's what. You're probably watching some tape, and and uh, it's probably frantic. It's probably just, you know, you get 15 practices, yeah. and you just kind of dive in with a new group. Uh, can you learn much in that short of period of time? Well, yeah, you learn a little bit about each other, um, and you're just trying to get to know the players. Right. Uh, and, you know, you're... you're you're wanting to instill your culture of how you want to practice. That's the biggest thing you want to do, it, it, as well as those players to learn how they're being coached. You know, what, what kind of coach is Coach Riley? What kind of coach is Coach Kleinerman or Coach Hayes uh, or, or Coach Anderson? That's what you're trying to figure out. We, and, and we're installing the basic stuff offensively and defensively, and that's, you know, the first four or five days, it sometimes looked like football and sometimes it didn't look like football, and that's kind of what's to be expected. And uh, then as, the, as it wound down in spring practice, I thought it started to look more and more like football every day, and guys started to feel more comfortable. Uh, and that's why we're so excited as we lead into fall practice because, you know, we've just barely scratched the surface of what we're going to install, what the guys are going to pick up, what the guys are going to retain, and, and I look forward to a, a great August. You start August 1st. You had Big 12 Media Days, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, and that really... That says football season, doesn't it? It's, here it is. It's, it's ready to go. Um, how eager are you to get these guys? As people watch this, you're on the field, but yep. um, how eager are you to get them out there? I'm really ready to get started. I know the guys are as well. Uh, you know, they've had a, a really good summer with Coach Dawson and his staff uh, training uh, in this brutal heat we've had uh, this summer. Uh, now, once you get past the 4th of July, I think everybody thinks more season and, right. and, and less about just strength and conditioning. And so the guys are, are excited and, and chomping at the bit to, to continue to improve every day. And that's what we're trying to do is uh, we're, we're so far away from a finished product. And, and I'm excited because I think we will continue to improve throughout the season. And what we see in mid-August is not going to be as good as what we see in mid-September and then hopefully mid-October. And that's, that's the sign of I think a team that's learning the culture and learning how we're doing things. People emphasize the differences you have with your predecessors, and and there are some. I mean, you're obviously uh, all the social media is a perfect example of that. That just didn't happen. Uh, your availability to do things such as this that typically didn't happen. Uh, but there's a lot of similarities here that I don't think people fully appreciate. This talk of developing players that mm -hmm. was so successful at North Dakota State, you got to go out and identify guys that you can get that are also going to be really good football players, and and maybe there's you know some pretty good overlap there, and maybe not, but it's all about seeing kids for what they will be and not what they are. Uh, that's an essential ingredient to be a coach at Kansas State, isn't it? Yeah, it really is, and, it, and it's really an essential ingredient to be a coach anywhere. You yeah. have to be able to develop develop talent, and, and, and you realize that you, know, you could get a, a young player in here that's just not matured yet. You know, yeah. His body hasn't matured yet, and, and that's why you got to stay the course with those kids. And, and 
you know, unfortunately, everybody wants to play as a true freshman, and and there's not always going to happen. And and you have to give those kids enough encouragement to keep driving and keep striving for for their perfection or their perfect uh, person, so that they keep working hard and, and that they see the light at the end of the tunnel. Because it may be their second year, sometimes it may be their third year before they play. But um, you know, if you continue to give them positive positive feedback, positive reinforcement of this is the track that it's that that you're taking right now and you're gonna have some success at the end of that and then there's some kids that it just falls into place right away mm -hmm. and they play quickly and it, and that's but you're even the kids that play right away you're still developing those guys every right. every week every month every year so that you can continue to get the most out of those guys i'm not going to get into a bunch of position by position things because as this you know, appears on the website that's going on mm -hmm. with other forms of the media but this running back situation is very intriguing because it was kind of a convergence of things. You know, they lost a couple guys graduation. Alex Barnes goes to the NFL. Another very good running back has lost career with mm -hmm. injury. I've never heard of a program not having any scholarship running backs. That has to be like, oh crap! What are we? What are we doing here? What do we got? What do we got to put together to string this together? Yeah, it was it was a kind of a shock to me when uh, I, I did learn that. But that's the hand we were dealt and. Um, you know, we went with the grad transfer route uh, a little bit, one with James Gilbert, and uh, he was here for spring ball, mm -hmm. uh, and then another with Jordan Brown that just uh, arrived here shortly after the 4th of July, and um, those guys at least have had some playing time at the Division One level. I'm excited about some of the guys we have, um, you know, Harry Trotter, um, Tyler Burns. We have some older guys that just haven't had their opportunity yet, and then you know, we restocked it with freshmen too, because you can't have all upperclassmen, but you couldn't have all freshmen either. So we have a pretty good balance, um, and we have great competition, and and that brings out the best in everybody when you have that competition. And and if you've looked at uh, the track record of what Coach Mess did at NDSU with with the last two national championship teams, we played three, four, five, six right. running backs, and and uh, I really really believe that you need to have multiple guys, not only. Uh, as a skill set of playing running back, but a lot of those guys are going to run down and kick off and make a tackle too. Well, we have a thing here at Go Powercat we do on our uh, podcast called the Overtime, and people started years ago. People started ask, asking ridiculous questions, and um, if the moon was made of cheese, would you eat it? Those yep. questions. Uh, so I'm going to put you on the overtime now. Okay. Five quick ones from a, a longtime poster at Go Powercat CFID. Okay. Uh, he doesn't spell it that way. Uh, I, we, that's how you pronounce it, Zach. It's C-F-I-D. I didn't know that. Coach uh, Snyder was notorious for his late-night Taco Bell runs. What's your go-to meal or place on late-night leaving practice? Got to get food. I'm so fortunate. My wife is a phenomenal cook, so she typically will have something in the refrigerator for me. Um, so and I'm not a fussy eater, so I don't have any late night. I'm not a fast food guy, um, but whatever that we can find. Sometimes it's just a, a sandwich, and sometimes it's a leftover steak or leftover uh, meatloaf or whatever it may be. That's typically the way I am. Uh, Coach uh, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan recently said uh, he thinks players should have one free transfer to be eligible the next year. There's so much talk about this transfer thing, the senior transfers. Where do you stand on this? Uh, with the grad transfers, I, I think they they fulfilled their time. They should be able to be eligible somewhere else. They that I, I that shouldn't be changed. Um, I think uh, the people that enter the transfer portal 
I think everybody should sit a year, and I don't think one exception compared to another exception because we've seen it this year already. Some kids appeal it and don't get it and have the same case as some kids that appeal do appeal and do get it. And I know that uh, Coach Fitzgerald at Northwestern, I was on a committee with him last year uh, and had a pretty good thought of, you know, if you transfer um, and you lose that year of eligibility, if you graduate, we'll give you the year back. But I think everybody should sit a year. I, I kind of agree. Uh, what is a person from Waterloo called? A Waterloon or a Waterlooian? <laughs> They're just from the loo. From the loo? From the loo. I like that. we got a bar called the Lou here in Manhattan. <laughs> have you ever been to the John Deere Factory and Engine Museum? I have. I've been to the factory. I've never been to the museum. I, there's factories all over, but I uh, have not been to the museum. I, I didn't. I see I'm learning stuff here. Okay. I didn't even know that existed. Uh, you haven't been here a long time, but is there a favorite spot to go to on campus in rest, someplace in Manhattan? Uh, no. Once again, my wife and I are pretty simple people, and yeah. uh, we, we stay at home and, and cook out uh, an awful lot, and uh, you can almost cook everything on the cement this summer, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm on the grill quite a bit, and it's uh, lovely she, grilling weather in, in is, the cool street. A, luckily, I can jump right into the pool or something yeah. afterwards. But we, we're, we're pretty simple people. We like to cook in, at home and, and have a glass of wine and, and just relax. Favorite sport, sport other than football is? Oh, baseball. Baseball. Yep. Yeah. I, I grew up playing baseball. Yeah. I enjoy the college basketball game. Don't enjoy NBA as much, although I am a Celtics fan. Uh, but just baseball in general I enjoy. And you got to go to the Royals game for K-State Day, but you didn't get, get a stay for the game, did you? You came I back. stayed for just a few innings because we had some official visits right. that day. So it was right. quick in and out. One extra question. You golfer? Yep. Handicap? Uh, I will tell you it's probably a 12, and sometimes I'll tell Mess I, he'll give me a couple extra strokes, but uh, I can shoot anywhere from 78 to about 104. So uh, it, golfing's a short season. Golf. Yeah, especially <laughs> up in North Dakota. you got beautiful courses, but yeah. you only it's got really so short. many months you can it's use It's really them. short. Well, Coach, I appreciate you sitting in with us here in the uh, studio and talking about your arrival at K-State. It's been really good. And welcome again to Manhattan, Kansas. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. You Thank you for listening to the Sources Podcast. That has been the Chris Kleiman Power Chat. I hope it gave you a little idea of what the Power Chat is like, and i got to be honest, there's a couple of them that I absolutely love this season. I liked them all. I enjoyed talking to everyone. But if you haven't seen the Eric Stone Street or the Joe Hall Power Chats, you probably need to subscribe. We will talk to you tomorrow with a questions podcast. The podcasts keep coming at GoPowerCat.com as essential listening for any Kansas State sports fan. I'm Tim Fitzgerald, and I'll talk to you later. You've been listening to the PowerCat Sources Podcast presented by Blue Mark Energy. PowerCat Podcast, all rights reserved, gopowercat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.